Welcome to 90% Mental. I'm your host, Grant Parr, and thank you for joining us for our 25th episode. Transitioning out of sport, what does that mean for an athlete where an athlete has dedicated their whole life to advance and hit their dreams and have to deal with shortcomings of possibly a career-ending injury or falling out of love with the sport or have actually just exhausted every opportunity for them to advance their career and doors keep on shutting on them? What does an athlete have to deal with emotionally and mentally? So today, my topic is about transitioning out of sport, and my guest today is Evanson Bernard, who's a former running back for the Los Angeles Rams and the Seattle Seahawks. And he shares a very detailed story about all the different transitions that he had to deal with going from college to NFL, the Canadian Football League, and then transitioning out of football. But his story begins at Oregon State University when he was arguably one of the best running backs coming out of the Pac-10 in the year 2007, which positioned him to be a fourth-round pick in the NFL draft. Due to combine politics and injuries, he actually was not drafted in the NFL draft and was signed as an unsigned free agent to the Los Angeles Rams. What he had to deal with with the emotions and his mindset dealing with this transition is real and authentic, and you'll hear it within his story. And he's going to share with you a little bit on his mindset, how he dealt with going to the Canadian League as well. But what's really beautiful about his story is that he looks back at what he learned about all the different transitions. He applied all the lessons to helping his brother, who is Giovanni Bernard, the running back for the Cincinnati Bengals and made sure that his transition from college to the professional ranks was going to be a lot more smoother than what he went through. So an incredible story. I love the vulnerability. I love how honest he is about his past and what he learned from all the transitions. I hope you do too. So go, let's talk to Evanson. Hey, Evanson, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing really good. I'm really excited to have you on my show. And I think there's been a few things that we've talked about on my show in the past on on transitioning out of sport or just uh, dealing with the mindset of transitioning from one thing to another. And I think with your story, the way that you've dealt with your transition from college to pro and now into your, your real life, your second life, if you will, um, yeah. I, I'm really yeah. excited to have my listeners uh, hear your story. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm ex- excited to kind of uh, fill your viewers in on you know a little bit of our life and the and the, the journeys and the obstacles and all that um, all that stuff. Awesome, awesome. Well, before I get into my my show and I do this every time, uh, well, I always I always ask my guests what does mentally tough mean to them. So, what does mentally tough mean to you? Yeah, mentally tough um, is how you uh, handled adversity. Um, you know, in tough situations, how do you respond? Um, and it doesn't have to be just <clears throat> on the field of play, but just in life. How do you respond to the, you know, the detours in life that you'll, you know, come across? So, you know, mentally tough is one of those things that <clears throat> I think every coach and every player always brings up. It's always a part of, I guess, the, the, the you know, the world of sports. You always hear mentally tough because, you know, for athletes, it's, um, it's, you know, we're always, we're always facing adversity. It could, you know, play by play, you know, it's, it's always there and it's always, you know, in your face. And so I think that's why it's so huge. You know, when we say mentally tough, it, it, it resonates in the sporting world. Absolutely. Is there a moment, whether if it's in college or when you're playing pro or even the Canadian league, was there a moment where you can go back to and reflect on where you were mentally tough or 
it, it just showed up in your play that you were mentally tough. Oh, yeah. A lot of times I can probably talk about, you know, my freshman year, you know, they brought, you know, I thought or I read my redshirt sophomore year, actually, um, I was named the starter or not the starter, but I was competing to be the starter. And they brought a kid to transfer from University of Florida. Um, and most of the time, University of Florida running backs and and he was really, really good. They brought him in because they thought I couldn't be the starter. You know, they were like, yeah, we don't know if F can really, truly be an every down back. You know, he's only five eight and a half, five nine. you know, weighing about 195, 200. Can this guy really take the load, you know, the 30-plus carries a game for us? So that was definitely, you know, an eye-opening experience for me because I was always the top dog in high school. And, you know, I played, you know, baseball too, and I was jacked out of high school. So I was always the guy, you know, you know, the top guy in high school. And so this situation, they bring this guy in and I, I'm, I'm like, oh my God, you know, do I, do I look at it as a disrespect? You know, do I just transfer and say, you know what, I don't want to deal with this or do I fight and battle it out? And obviously I fought and battled it out and I won the position after three games. But I think that was probably the, you know, where I, I definitely, you know, made a name for myself and you know at Oregon State being able to battle that kid out transfer from Florida and just kind of you know doing my thing while I was there you know and for my listeners I, I want them to understand if they or if they have a chance to look at YouTube uh, to check out your highlight films not only in college but through your professional career but when you look at Evanson's stature yeah he's 5'9 205 pounds runs a 4440 but you did not run like that. You ran like you were 6'3", 250 pounds, and you had this Marshall <laughs> Falk feel to you. Yeah. It was, um, yeah, I think for me, you know, in high school, I was always kind of, you know, I remember my baseball coach saying, take the Major League Baseball contract that, you know, the Twins offer you. Don't go play college football, um, you know, cause I, uh, because he thought I was too small. And I think every other coach, you know, I ever ran around or told me, like, yeah, Ev, you're kind of too small to be a running back, maybe play a different position or play baseball. So I've always dealt with that card, and so I always had that chip on my shoulder. But, you know, I, I love that. I, I always, you know, it's funny because they say some people, when people say, well, you can't do something, they, they take it, and or they, they, they take it and go to a different direction with it, and they, they're like, yeah, I can't really do it. I'm too small or whatever like that. I love the naysayers. I love people that said, you know, I, could, I couldn't do it. I can't do, I can't be this. I can't do this. I loved it. I, I feed, I, I, I fed off of that. Even when we would play away games, I liked away games and college football better than I liked my home games. Cause I love the booze. I love that. That was my fuel of the fire is the people that doubted me and the people that said, or booed me or whatever it is. But, you know, my time in Oregon state was phenomenal. You know, I left, you know, you know, as a, you know, the, third all-time rusher at Oregon State, which was, you know, at the time I didn't think about, I was just running the ball, you know, and now I look back at it, you know, and I'm like, wow, you know, I did some amazing things. And at, at one point I was the sixth, you know, leading or all-time rusher in the Pac-10 or Pac-12 uh, for a little bit, which was really cool. Now I think I'm all the way down to like 13 or something, but <laughs> I mean, it's just a really, you know, it's a really cool honor, you know, coming all the way from Boca Raton, Florida, across the basically the freaking globe uh, to come out and, and uh, be at Oregon State, which was, you know, an amazing experience. Got to meet phenomenal people. And, and now I'm still here, you know, working in the uh, development uh, side of things, you know, fundraising. So working on capital projects for the athletic program, which has been, you know, a phenomenal deal, you know, get to reach back out to our, you know, people that supported me. And now, you know, kind of working with them now, it's, a, it's kind of a weird full circle deal. 
That's beautiful. And I love it too, going back a little bit to what you just said about, you know, playing in, you know, away and and loving that pressure. I mean, that's, and that's kind of yeah. defines a little bit of who you are. I think as a person, how you deal with pressure and how you probably, and we'll learn a little bit how you've dealt with all these changes in your life. And, yeah. and I think it's just, um, I applaud you for, for having that mindset. It's really cool. I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, it's, it's one of those things I'm hoping, you know, I have a two-year-old son. I'm hoping he can have a little bit of that too, that little, <laughs> that little edge to him, but we'll see. You bet. You bet. Well, you talked about your career at Oregon State. And yep. when you think about all the accolades that you achieved, and even you were first and second team and honorable mention Pac-10 throughout your career, yep. I remember also in the Emerald Bowl, which you just killed it, yep. and you were offensive MVP of that game, right? So yeah. you, you've gone through these years at, at Oregon State, and you're making a name for yourself. So you're obviously you're getting really pumped up, and I'm, I'm guessing that you're thinking of the next step, which which is – NFL, right? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> talk, talk to me about that transition going from Oregon State to and the NFL, and then also kind of what your mindset was with the draft, because I think all players like you that are that elite are going to have a chance to yeah. get drafted. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, you know, one thing um, I'll kind of go back a little bit. You know, for me, the game of football. It wasn't, it wasn't a game. <laughs> it was more of a way to, to set up my life and to help my father and my dad out. Unfortunately, my mom had passed away uh, my end of my high school, or my beginning of my high school, my freshman year, um, going into my freshman year summer, I think, actually. Um, and so the, the game was, how do I help my father and my dad out? How do I put them in a good position where they can live good and not worry about things because my dad, you know, my mom passed away. He went to find that he went financially broke. Uh, he went bankrupt, you know, lost his dry cleaner and everything. And so the, the obstacle that I faced was, you know, I put the weight on my shoulder and I was like, I need to help these guys. So going to college, so I get to Oregon state. My whole process is football, football, football. How am I going to help my family out? Um, it's not really a game. It's just a way to support my father and my brother. So anyways, Oregon State goes well. I played some great years. I have some injuries here and there that are pretty, pretty not serious, but at the time, um, I had two meniscus and then a shoulder surgery, torn labrum and um, rotator cuff. At the time, I'm not thinking how serious it is. You know, I'm just like, all right, they repair it. I'm good to go. Uh, anyways, and then I probably should have left my junior year too, and I wasn't thinking about that. I just wanted to come back, be with my, be with my teammates. You have another chance for another bowl game because the year before we went to the Sun Bowl, which is a great bowl. I think it was the, the or it might have been the third uh, best team in the Pac-12 conference would go to that bowl. So anyway, I come back. I'm like, all right, you know, I hear, you know, I got agents reaching out to me and to my, and to my family saying I should leave my junior year. If I don't, and I come back another year, tear my meniscus again. And so at the point, I'm like, all right, just repair it. And this is like game eight or nine. I come back, uh, I missed my well, missed Civil War, and I come back to the ball game. <laughs> so this was two weeks after I had surgery on meniscus. Wow. And then, yeah, just, just not very smart on my part, <laughs> but the pressure of being that guy, right, being that teammate that needed to be there, have to support, you know, 
my teammates. That was my mindset. And it was my last one, right? I was like, this is my last game. I don't want to go out hurt. And so I come back and I go to the draft. I'm predicted to be fourth round, fourth, fifth round as a third down back. Um, it's a, I'm, I'm like, heck yeah, man. This, this is going well. And I remind you, the class of 2008 <laughs> was probably the best running back class ever. <laughs> so any, any red flags or any injuries that were chronic injuries or whatever, it, it probably would set you back really far. So some of those guys running back in that class would be Darren McFadden, Jonathan uh, Stewart, wow. uh, Chris Johnson, Mike Hart. Rashad Mendenhall. Wow. I mean, I can go on and on and on for set. I mean, <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was unbelievable. Um, and so I, I, I'm not, I don't even know how Ray Rice. I, I'll stop right there, but wow. I, mean, I can keep going. So anyways, I'm thinking like, all right, yeah, I'm good fourth round with all these backs. I am happy. Let's go. <laughs> right. And um, so I, just, I go to the combine, and they, it's it's on by invite. I think they invite like 210 guys. So I'm like, heck yeah, man. Things are going smooth. I got invited. I'm in, you know, I'm in, I'm in, um, I'm in Indianapolis for the combine. And so before you do any drills, um, you do, you know, some physical stuff, and they, you know, they, so it's basically, I'm sure you've heard this before. It's like, you feel like you're at a, a um, when, what you, those, when they auction off cattle, I forgot what they, yeah, right. um, but I felt like I was at one of those. Cause you were basically, you were a number and we had our number and our last thing on but they would call you, all right, 25 or 26 or 22, come up to the stage. And we would, we would literally stay on the stage, look at probably a hundred people out in front of us, scouts. And all you hear was, ooh, ah, ooh. Right. <laughs> and they're, they're, doing, they're doing hand measurements. They're doing shoulder, legs, um, your hands, just crazy stuff. And that's uh, – so day one's that, and you're doing physicals. So you have a bunch of doctors. They would put you on this, um, this flat table, and you would lay down. And they would, you have four guys on you, just pulling at you, seeing if your shoulders are clicking or whatever's clicking or if they're flexible enough. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like, I know I'm going to fail some of these tests because my shoulder, I hadn't had surgery yet. I was like, they're going to see that I have a torn labrum Mm. and rotator cuff. So he starts pulling a little bit and I'm trying to resist. I'm like, because they have all documentation from our trainers. You know, after you're done, the, tra- they, the trainers every day or every week, they would log what's going on with you. And if you went into the training room, you would, they would have to fill paperwork out. If I knew, I probably wouldn't have gone to the training room, but whatever. Um, <laughs> right. So they would do all this stuff and they have all documentation. So they would, they had already a pre-list of what was going on. And I remember them pulling on my shoulder. I remember like, they're like, well, that doesn't sound good. I go, no, it's good, man. I promise. You know, I've never... It's never had an issue, but I was like, well, I don't know. I saw some stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I was kind of kind of banged up. It was a stinger. So anyways, to make the long story short, I get evaluated as a D. Wow. <laughs> After all this, I got a D. I run a four, seven, five. Obviously, my knee, I just had surgery literally probably now, probably a, a month and a half ago. Um, so I'm not not even 80%. I uh, run a slow 40 all my other quick explosive drills, I did great, caught the ball well, whatever. And then I get home, 
and I get the call, and they're like, my agent's like, yeah, you got graded out as a D. So I'm like, oh boy, you know. And then this other, and you gotta remember the other backs are it's it's probably 12 deep of amount mm. of really talented running backs. And so um, I, you know, I go through the draft and I get a call in the fifth round, and the St. Louis Ram goes, we're gonna take you, but we're gonna take you as a free agent. We're not gonna sign you. And I'm like, whatever. You know, like Steven Jackson, very the guy I played behind at Oregon State. It'd be cool to be with him. And then, and then one of my offensive linemen, Roy Shooting, was drafted in the fifth round. So I was like, all right, that's you know, that's that's cool with me. Kind of work my way onto you know the 53 man roster. And um, so I'm there for a day. And the next, and I, and I remember doing like a really short physical that day um, when, when I came when I flew in. And then literally the next morning, I wake up and. You know, they're, they're saying, you know, on their website, Evanson Bernard is just, you know, still the draft with St. Louis Rams, blase, blase. And then um, I'm in a meeting room. I'm third I'm, or I'm second on punt team already. I'm like, wow, this is cool. Like, I'm excited. You know, I'm undrafted. You know, I, you know I'm going to have a chip on my shoulder. And um, I'm in this meeting. This is the second day we haven't even practiced yet. And I get a tap on the shoulder and they bring me into the office. I'm like, what the heck? Like, what are they going to, they want to sign me to like, you know, right. <laughs> they sign me to 53 man Ross already. And the guy goes, you know, Ev, we got to let you go. Um, we, we redid, uh, you know, your physical, we checked on it. We thought we'd, you know, get a little, prog- you, you'd be better at this stage with your knee and your shoulder, but um, it just doesn't look good. And the doctor says you have a degenerative shoulder and knee. Wow. You have arthritis in it. And I'm like, whoa, like, this is crazy. So I go, well, what does that mean? Like, are you going to release me or what? And they're like, are you going to IR me? And they go, no, we're going to release you. And I've never been cut. Like, like this is the first time I've been flat out cut. Right. And the first thought wasn't that I got cut, but how I let down all of my fans. Uh, but number one, my father and my brother. That one hurt. And I was lucky to make a lot of probably $180,000 off of endorsements before or after I, you know, you know, was done with Oregon State. But, you know, when I was training to get ready for the combine, you, you know, you can start doing endorsement deals and signing, you know, cards and stuff like that. And luckily I made a little bit of money, but, you know, that went straight to my father and my, my brother. And I, you know, I, I remember renting them out a really nice apartment and they're really in a rough neighborhood in the projects. And so, I put them up, but obviously that money was, you know, spread out really thin and it was gone, you know, by, you know, two, two, three years after I, 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 you know, put them up in that apartment. So my thing was, my number one was like just letting them down really hurt me. And, and football kind of took a different, uh, I guess, spin after that, because after that, I, I get a really lucky break with the Seahawks. They bring me in uh, two weeks after I got released. And they signed me to the practice roster. So I made a little money, like, for, I was there for about like, two months. You know, Forsett was, uh, he was put on practice roster, and they and then the Indianapolis Colts picked him up. And then the Colts released him, and then they brought him back because it was midseason. And, and obviously, Forsett knew the playbook way better than I did. And I was just running scout team. I didn't even have a playbook. They just said, just run the scout team for right now, Ev. Um, and I was lucky I got that break because one of the scouts was a huge fan of mine. Um, he scouted the area, and you know, love what I had to offer, but knew I had a lot of injuries and stuff like that. And so they, I had to sign a waiver when I was with the Seahawks on my knee. Fortunately, they didn't really pay attention to the shoulder so much, but 
it was, uh, you know, so I got a lucky break there. And then after that, I got released because they brought Forsett back. I went to the CFL and I, you know, unbelievably, I spent four years up there. Didn't play a lot. Played a little bit because, you know, they have American rules uh, or Canadian rules. Guys, so it has to be like a certain amount of Canadians on the team. And you can only have one starter as a running back, um, the American. So the guy that they had there, they were paying a lot of money. He was there for like two years already. He was pretty good. And he was in the system. He, you know, his jersey was being sold. So, so I kind of had to play that little, that you know, a little bit of politics, which was fine. But uh, you know, they knew that I was talented enough to keep me around for four years. So that was really cool. And so, yeah. And then, you know, I wasn't really my my hopes and dreams was like, all right, I'm going to go to CFL and get myself back into the NFL. And they say after two years, if you don't get a call um, back you know, you're probably not going to make it. And then obviously I wasn't playing base really at all. So I didn't really have film and I'm still trying to fight for the, you know, the dream, the dream. And then I got a, then I got a call from the Braves. I'm like, after the, you know, after two years in the fifth, I got a call from the Braves. Like, Hey, would you be interested in coming back to, you know, uh, returning to the, you know, baseball to the diamond. And, and the first thought I said, or the first thing I thought was like, damn, why didn't I get my shoulder surgery done while I was at Oregon State? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I literally had a decline because I knew I couldn't throw the ball mm-hmm. because of my shoulder. It would, it would come out every time I would, you know, throw the ball. Um, <laughs> so I just tell them, Hey, I'm pursuing the CFL dream. I don't tell them this. I'm like, maybe I can get it done after this second year and just kind of give up the CFL and try to return to baseball. And, you know, my wife, you know, my girlfriend time now, my wife, she was like, no, just stick with football. You know, you already, you haven't played baseball in a long time. You're making a pretty decent money up there. And so I played another two years, didn't lose the passion, but I was like, you know what? I'm good. Like I'm not making what I want to make. I know I could probably make something. I make it more outside of this. And, uh, yeah. So I returned to Oregon. And so I, my first real, you know, I guess my real gig was, you know, I got a call of a buddy of mine worked at Nike. He's like, Hey, you know, they want to, you know, there's, they're going to take over the NFL and they want to sign, uh, some guys that have some football experience. And I think you'd be the right guy. And I go, yeah, I'd come back, you know, so I did that for six months, and and then it was all right. I didn't like really corporate America. It was kind of uh, – I, I didn't really enjoy myself there. It was kind of cool, but I wasn't, you know, really being utilized the way I want to be utilized, which is fine. I and mean, I was a, it was a temp job. I wanted to be more on the design, you know, side, of the, techno, the technical side of it. But so anyways, my contract ends, and my brother is uh, is in college football. And he's at UNC Chapel Hill and he's having an explosive freshman year. And I'm like, wow, like this is, this is looking good. He's a retro freshman. And, and then his sophomore year comes up and he does, he has another great year. And he's like, I go, all right, kid, you're going to leave early. And so I take a whole year after this six months and I um, basically, I'm his agent, but doing it for free but being his brother at the same time right. i'm in unc i'm down there a little bit i'm because i'm set i'm setting it up or i can already see this kid's going to be a star and he's healthy and uh so we went out to california for about another eight months we're out there or eight months we're out there just training getting him right and he ends up being the first running back selected that year in 2013 draft and i knew you know the whole time 
I was like, this kid's going to make it. And this is, this is the way I'm going to give back. I couldn't, I couldn't give him what I really wanted to, but I can give him my time and support. And, um, and so it's been, it's been, it's kind of funny. Like we come back the full circle, you know, seeing his life kind of evolve. And now he's going in the fifth year in the NFL, the Cincinnati Bengals. And he just signed this, you know, his second contract uh, last off season. So, it's been a blessing, you know, but it was a tough road for me to, you know, kind of feel like I let people down, but then turn around and kind of give back in a different way. I'm not where I wanted to be. Obviously, I had hopes and dreams of being, you know, one of those kids, you know, that were that became a millionaire playing, you know, you know, the game of football. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. And you know, it's it's tough. Like, I, obviously, I love seeing my brother you know live out his dream and my dream as well but there's a little bit of you know um not envious but gosh man i i know i could i mean my brother's good but dang i know i could have you know competed with him and it would have been really fun to kind of be in the league at the same time or whatever so it's a, it's a, it's still tough man and in your identity too you know working for oregon state it's tough you know because people still relate you as you know evanson bernard the running back and then you turn around and you have to ask these people for you know, money, right? So to support, you know, our student athletes, it's really tough because you gotta, you gotta, you have to re- almost recreate yourself. And it's tough because, you know, wh- who I am or who I was gave me the op- the opportunity where I am, I'm at today. You know, so I love your story so much, only because there's there's so many changes and transitions, and there's so many lessons within yeah. your story, and with trans- yeah. and with transition there's emotion. You deal with all these different emotions with transition. And also you brought up about identity as well, especially when you're transitioning out of a sport. Well, I don't care if you're transitioning out of uh, a corporate job that you've been, you know, working for 15, 18 years, there's an identity that you've been accustomed to. So there's, there's a lot of emotion when you deal with transition. And I do want to go back to when you were in college and you were dealing with so when you're in college, you were the man, and yeah. you were the man in oh, many yeah. different ways. Uh-huh. How, how did you deal with the emotional transition when you're going to the combines and you're just now a number? You're not like the dude. You're like you're like just another yeah. dude amongst the dudes. How did you deal with that emotionally? Right. Yeah, well, well, funny enough, coming out of coming out of high school, I was you know I was pretty good, but in the state of Florida, the South Florida to be specific. There's a lot of talent. And mm. so I think I already kind of, I went kind of through that because I wanted to go to Miami and they didn't offer me. They had, they had Frank Gore there. So <laughs> at the time I know Frank Gore was, I was like, yeah, whatever. Right. So I had, I think I kind of went through that. Like, gosh, why can't, why do any of these big schools in my state want to keep me? And obviously they all had running backs that were really good and went to off the NFL. So I kind of already figured that out now my high school football team we had seven division one players that were going to nc state georgia tech kansas state so out of that group honestly oregon state was a little bit lower than those schools and so i kind of felt like damn man like everyone so i I had times like this already so going so i when that happened i was like oh boy here it goes again but i'm in my mind i'm gonna i'm gonna um how would I say? I'm going to I'm going to prove them wrong again, right? Awesome. And I couldn't because I was injured, right? And I really I it was not in my hands, and so it was tough. It was really it, it hurt, but 
I always, that was always fueling my fire. I didn't let it beat me down to a point where it made me sad. It always was fueling my fire. And still to this day, it's all like anything that is, you know, you know, that, that deals with adversity. I always want to just prove people wrong. And sometimes it gets me in trouble because I even do it with my wife sometimes. Like she'll be like, well, and I, in my, in my head, I'm like, Oh, I'm gonna prove you wrong. Just watch, <laughs> right. you know. Um, and so it, it's a, it's it is a problem. It, could, it, it but it also it helps me out too. So it's it's a double edged sword. Um, and so yeah, it was tough in college. It was really hard. But I, I, when you're so young like that, you are so resilient too. Right. So, big, yeah. big big time, big time. And yeah. when we go, if we look back into your injuries it seems like you have this mind over matter type of mindset, you know, especially when, mm-hmm. when you're going into the, your, the Emerald bowl, you know, you had surgery two weeks before that and you had an incredible performance and talk yeah. me through that because I always, when I'm working with athletes, I always talk to them about, you don't have to feel good to perform well. And we can look at so many right. athletes like Michael Jordan, when he was in the playoffs and he had 104 temperature yeah. and you have Brett Favre and his, you know, his father dies and the next, you know, the same day he throws six touchdowns on Monday night football. So there's a lot of yeah. things people deal with. How did you overcome kind of maybe a possible distraction with your injuries? Yeah. Um, just the alpha male in me, man. And, and, you know, playing the, playing the game for my, my father and my dad or my brother, you know, that, that's what it was. Whenever I was banged up, that's what I kept thinking. And obviously my teammates too, and and making sure that you know Oregon State was a, a a team that can compete and make it to bowl games and and but I remember my junior year, um, this when it started kind of happening where I was like I felt like a like I was a gladiator I was just I felt like a racehorse I remember it might have been game three from game three on I would have this knee that would my right knee would just swell up. And at the time, I didn't know it was a torn meniscus, and I played the whole season with it. Wow. And, you know, I don't know my trainers didn't notice or whatever. I won't go down that road. Um, but the guy that was the head trainer, he's not there anymore. He's been fired, thankfully. But I remember uh, sitting on that table and them saying that, Ev, we're going to go in your knee with a needle and drain the fluid out. And I'm like, what? And this is like a Wednesday. <laughs> So I would, for me, after that, uh, that third game of the season, I was only practicing twice a week. Um, I would get drained on Wednesday. So they would drain my knee. They'd put the needle in, drain it out, get all the fluids. Uh, and then I remember they would put all the fluids. I'd be like 50 cc's drained out of my knee, and they would, they would just put it right into a Gatorade cup. Wow. And that was like, at the time, like, I'm just, well, it's a Gatorade cup. It's funny. I look back at it now, back at it now, I'm like, wow, like they, they were draining my knee, throwing it in the Gatorade cup, and then icing my knee after that. I had to keep ice on it for a couple days, and then I had to take a Tordol shot in the butt the, the day on game day. Wow. And I did that for the whole remainder of my junior year after game three, and I was like, I didn't think about it. I just didn't think about it. I just kind of just went out there to play. So, you know, I love the game. I knew I was, I knew the real purpose behind why I was playing the game. And, um, I, you know, I look back at these moments and I talk about it and not a lot of people know, cause I don't really want to share that those details cause it's sensitive. And I don't even know if the university really, well, now is that it's out, but I don't think they would really want me to, 
you know, really, you know, continue to talk about it or tell more people about it because it's, it's so sad. Um, you know, and that, that really was my demise when it came to the combine and my NFL aspirations was I had those kind of injuries, you know, I just kept playing through them. And, and then when you get told you got degenerative knees and shoulder and you have arthritis in them, it's sad because at the time, you know, I would, I should, I probably should have, you know, I don't know, had surgery and maybe try to come back for the next, you know, maybe the last game or two or something like that, but not, you know, miss, you know, not just every day, week do that same thing just so I could play. And so that was, you know, that was, you know, at the time you didn't know. And I just kind of went out there and kind of did my thing, but yeah, that was my story. My junior year and then my senior year, uh, now until game eight, I, you know, you know, do my knee again. And, you know, obviously I, you know, miss you know, civil war and I come back two weeks later for a bowl game. So wow. and I get what, 30, 35 carries that game off, you know, straight off of a knee that's really not 100%. So. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, when you, when you think about kind of when you were going through getting your knee drained, is it fair to say that you just, at that moment, you just felt it was part of the process? Like, you part of the process. Part man. of the process. <laughs> it's part of playing football. Yeah. Right? And I, yeah. Part of playing football, part of being a macho man. Um, I could do it. Let's go. I did, you know, I knew my family were watching. We're going to watch the game on Saturday. So I didn't want them to, you know, not be able to see me, you know, on TV. So, yeah, those are, you know, I had a lot of thoughts. It wasn't about me. It was never about me. It was all about, I always played it for other people, um, my family, friends. Uh, I never played the game for me. It was never about me. Beautiful, beautiful. And you've talked earlier a few times about kind of reflecting on getting that surgery you should have gotten that surgery on your shoulder do you is that a regret for you or is that just something that you look back and you said oh just a lesson learned uh a little bit of regret you know uh i, I should have had it done i should have had you know oregon state university you know have this surgery i i, I don't think i had the right people to tell i i don't know because i'm going to go down this road and i don't want to put people on blast or whatnot but right. yes it should have been fixed after it, this happened my sophomore year and so i should have had it done after my sophomore my retro sophomore year, yes got it okay and when when you think about again where it's this is another uh, i would say another pivotal point in your story as far as transition goes you know when you're moving on from the seahawks and you're going into the canadian league what was mm-hmm. even, you talked a little bit about you know your mindset but what were you dealing with emotionally going from Man, I've made it to the NFL, and I'm, you know, I'm every day. I'm trying to, you know, keep my spot. But now, do you feel like a downgrade? Do you feel like your, your, your career's going a different direction, and maybe not in a positive, or, or was it the other? But did you feel like it was a positive direction for you? No, it was. It hurt, man. It hurt because um, I knew it was out of my hands. I really didn't have as much control as I've had in the past. You know, um, you know it's like when you're on in college, you're on, you know, you're going to be on a team for a while, right? So you can prove yourself. You have time to prove yourself. We're in the NFL. You don't have time. There's no time. There is you as a, as a, as a, as a free agent, you maybe got two days to prove your case on why they should keep you on either the practice roster or on the 53 man roster. So it just felt like I didn't really have, it's like a downgrade, man. I was like, dude, I, I can't, 
I really can't help my case here. I really can't. So. And how'd you deal with, because you, you played for three different teams while you were in Canada, correct? Yeah. How'd you deal two, with that? Yeah, my first two years. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was tough because then again, I, I faced a, a situation where they had the Canadian rule where they had to have a certain amount of Canadians on the team or or even each play had to have a certain amount of Canadians. I can't remember the exact number now. It's been a couple of years, but you had to like have eight or nine guys and it's 12 on 12. So each, each side had to have that many guys on the field. So it was tough and they already had the guys. So, and I was, and I looked at it like, this is a lower level. How can I not be the starter at the lower level? Right. Right. They already had their guy. And so that was tough those first two years, but I think the coach knew that I was, you know, I was able to compete. Um, so he kept me around just, in, you know, just in case if our guys got hurt or just to push our, to, or to push the starter too. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so then I just kind of bounced around the league after that because, you know, teams want to kind of get me on the field, but, you know, situations happen. They're like, well, yeah, this and that, but we don't know. Like the type of, the type of player he is as it fits our offense. So, so yeah, that was a, that was a interesting time in my life but uh you know like i said it was always just kind of you know for me it it was like oh i want to prove myself and i think at you know my probably my second year i was like i need to get into this real world and make you know do something different and then i can prove myself in a different way not from you know not just through sports but you know just from you know you know you know work um uh, finding a new career taking what you've learned from from yeah. your career and oh, and, yeah. and translating into into your new life and so that that's awesome and it's good awareness. Um, I do want to bring up something when when it comes to transition. I think it's really important for and I want my listeners to understand this as well. I think it's really important to have yeah. a support system in place because when you get to the level of professional, you're you're it's going to happen. You're going to be moving from city to city, team to team. You might be downgraded yeah. to another league. So there's going to be a lot of things you'll have to deal with and having whether if it's friends, family, you know, girlfriend, wife, whatever, having a really good yeah. support system to help you through these transitions. Now, with your family, you you guys have a very close bond with Hall of Famer Chris Carter. How was he how yeah. did he support you during these transitions? Yeah. But when I was gone, when I was at Oregon State, obviously my brother and my father were still, you know, back in South Florida. My brother was going to high school and stuff like that, and or even Pop Warren at the time, too, actually, uh, playing ball there. And so Chris Carter, we met him when my brother was in Pop Warner, and, you know, I was so busy with my thing that him, uh, Chris Carter's son, Jerron Carter, and my brother were really good friends, and, and Chris uh, would pick my brother up to, to get to practice or from school, and stuff like that. So he was always involved. And if we were ever like kind of short on some cash or whatever, like it is, you know, pay for the water bill or whatnot, electricity, whatever it is, little bills here and there, Chris would kind of help out with that. You know, that, that, that was, that started probably my brother's, you know, in middle school, that was starting, starting to happen. And then I, and then he, he goes off to high school and Chris brings my brother to this very prestigious college in South Florida or not college, but high school, St. Thomas Aquinas. If you look them up, I mean, they are probably the best uh, athletic program. I mean, all around, all their uh, all their sports, probably the best uh, in the nation. 
And Chris Carter takes his son there, and he's like, Gio, you're coming with me too. And he gets my brother enrolled in the school, and he's once again picking him up. My brother's staying at his house. Uh, I'm off to college now. And, and so he's playing kind of my role. He's being the brother. He's being the, or, or a father figure too, I guess, a little bit of both. And so he was always there supporting my brother. And my uncle was there, was involved too, um, throughout this process too. So I, I want to say that. Um, so Chris Car- So anyways, Chris Carter was very influential in my brother's career uh, in life as well. So um, definitely, and he's still close to us. It's it's so funny watching him on TV and stuff like that because <laughs> I kind of know how he is. You know, some people might see he, he could be tough on, you know, he's very uh, outspoken, passionate. But, you know, Chris is a great person and, and, a, and a good soul. Let's just say he's passionate. Uh, it doesn't, yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever he believes in, he is passionate. And that's, I think that that's what makes Chris Carter special. Yeah. Cause he's not only uh, passionate about what he believes in, but even on the field, you could just tell, like, even when he's yelling at people, he's not yelling at people to be a jerk. He's, he's trying to hold you accountable. And, that's uh, it. Yeah. That's it. He's, he's a, he's a, yeah, he's one of those, he's like that old grandpa who's like, man, you suck. Come on. Like, <laughs> like he's just trying to motivate you, but it could, it comes off very brash at times. Right. <laughs> I remember many times watching him uh, in Randy's ear when Randy was a, a rookie. Uh, oh boy. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that was rough. I, I remember those days, but, but that was him, man. He always pushed you to the edge, but he did it because he wanted you to be the best, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, before we close up here, I want to ask you a question. Uh, Considering all the things that we've talked about, reflecting on your career and all the things that you've talked about with transition, if there is a young athlete that has been dealing with a similar situation like yours, and let's just say Mm -hmm. either needs some direction or needs some support, what would you say to that athlete? Um, You know, the number one thing is don't, you know, moments like, you know, you know when you when you're facing adversity, don't let it eat you up, right? Use that as, and I keep saying this phrase, but use it as you know fuel to your fire. Make make that the reason why you want to be better or whatever it is. Make that use that to your advantage. You know that's good. Don't 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 fold when those situations happen where you're like, oh man, like gosh, I'm not gonna be you know whatever. Like I'm sad. Like don't no man. Use that. Use that. Keep just push through that. And you're going to be all right, man. If you can use, if you, if you can learn how to use those moments or those, you know, those times in your life that are, you know, not going your way, if you can change that and flip that and use that to your advantage, I mean, you're going to be a dangerous man. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to be a dangerous man. So I I always tell people that, man, don't think you have it, you know, the worst because there's people, you know, my family's from Haiti, so. You know, they came They came on a boat, man. They came on a little raft, you know, coming over for the American dream. Wow. And, you know, I always, you know, when I'm, when I'm in the, a bad situation, I always think about, is it really that bad? You know, is it really that bad? I'm over here worrying about, you know, some days at work, I'm always getting calls. I'm always getting emails. And I always have to, you know, put on a show for people that I meet. And sometimes, like, it's, it's exhausting, but I'm like, Really? Is it really that exhausting? <laughs> like your mom and dad came over here on a boat, bro. Uh, you know, we're, we're at sea for like two weeks, you know, and so, and I see poverty too in Haiti, you know, and so 
yeah, this for me, it might be a little bit different because I've seen some stuff in my life and I've experienced. But you know, just be able to you know make that make that bad into a good. That's how I always look at it. Awesome, because I always think there's always something good can come out of something bad. Always just depends on how always, you look at it. Always, man. Right. No matter what it is, you. If you uh, got dumped by your girlfriend, <laughs> if you failed a test, it don't matter. There's always good. There's always good. Big time, a hundred percent. And yeah, again, I want, I want, I want to thank you for sharing your story. I think it's, it's, um, there's a lot of lessons in your story. Uh, thank you for being vulnerable about it. I think it's awesome. And you know, one thing I want my listeners to to kind of get as well is that, regardless if it's your a performance, regardless if it's your career, that doesn't define who you are. And I think a lot of athletes get so caught up in, you know, a performance defining who they are or their career. And there's so much more than life than just this sport, even though the sport is incredible and it gives us a lot of attributes mm-hmm. and allows us to, to build our character off the sport. But, you know, just because you go through a lot of transition, that doesn't mean you're less than. Like, it's just part of your story and it's a great story. Yeah, it's a great story. And we all have a book to write. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when, when we close that book, we just have to hopefully, and, you know, I hope all your listeners too, you know, they want that book to end on a positive note. And for you, you know, I always say, always treat people with respect, you know, be kind, man, because you just never know, you know, you just never know. So always, you know, close that book on, or end that book on a good, on a, on a good ending. Cause you know, this, this life is short, my man. And so you got to enjoy it, make the best of it. Uh, and uh, be kind to people, man. I agree. I agree. And where can uh, my listeners follow you uh, on social media? Yeah, I'm on social media. I, you know, it's funny because I, I, well, I'll go back a little bit. I can't even imagine if I had social media when I was playing, you know, college football. I had, I mean, Facebook was starting to kind of come alive, but you got the Twitter, you got the Snap, you got all this other stuff, man. I can't imagine. I don't know how athletes sometimes do it, and so. <laughs> I'm sure some of your listeners dealing with the pressures from the media, you know, a little bit more than I did. It's, it's, it's tough, but I do have a, I do have a, a, a handle for IG. It's Y underscore Bernard two six. And then obviously I'm on Facebook and stuff like that. And Twitter too is probably, probably the same thing. I can't really think about it. It's probably why, why underscore Bernard two six two. So anyways, uh, tune in if they want, if not, I'm, you know, I, I don't, I'm not one of those guys that preach on there. I just kind of, you know, kind of share my life a little bit Good. and all the good things that are happening. And so in a lot of beaver material, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, good. Yeah. Go check yeah. him out on, on social media. And, and I agree with you. Um, I'm actually going to have a show dedicated strictly on social media and how that affects oh, the mindset of an oof. athlete, either in a positive way or a negative way. Yeah, no, that's, that, I love that. That's going to be um, a great one, and I'll definitely tune in for that podcast. Um, love to hear you know some of the stuff you have to say. Beautiful, man. Well, again, uh, appreciate um, your time and and sharing your story it was awesome. I know that my yeah. listeners are going to learn so a lot. Much. It's awesome. I appreciate it. All right, my man. Well, take care. Have a good one.